Hey everyone, welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straup, and this is part two of your week one game-by-game fantasy preview. Part one of our preview covered the Thursday night game, plus Broncos, Giants, Steelers, Bills, Browns, Chiefs, and Jets, Panthers. Today, we will be hitting the remaining 11 games on the schedule as we all try to figure out what to do with our fantasy lineups and discuss some of the big injury news. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Denny Carter. Fellas, we're recording this on late Thursday afternoon. There's an actual NFL game approaching within a matter of hours, Cowboys and Bucks, and the season over on NBC. So for the first time in at least seven months, it feels like we have very little time for pleasantries. And I have a feeling, given the news that broke Thursday afternoon out of Baltimore, there may be no pleasantries to be found here anyway. Kind of a somber mood before the podcast started here, guys. It was. felt uh, like a funeral. Sheer panic. Gus Edwards uh, potentially being out for the season along with Justice Hill, along with DK, uh, J.K. Dobbins um, in the Baltimore backfield. Unreal, unreal injury situation. I don't even – Three season-ending injuries in one three-week span in one backfield, uh, which did not include any regular season games, is a bit hard to believe. And just stunningly bad, awful luck. And, yeah, like – like, one of those like backfields where like, there's so many people who's how are they even gonna like how's everyone gonna get their touches? And now it's like, well, I guess Le'Veon Bell is a 12 touch player. Um, yeah, it's uh, not not a good situation. Yeah, let's get into this because we were gonna do this game last, the Monday night game. We now will talk about it first. The Ravens and the Raiders in Vegas, Monday night, Baltimore, a four and a half point road favorite, total of 50 and a half points. Obviously, we'll just start with the injury news, which we've already discussed a little. Adam Schefter tweeting, the Ravens fear Gus Edwards suffered a season-ending torn ACL. Obviously, the Ravens, as we mentioned, recently signed Le'Veon Bell to their practice squad. A litany of injuries there. Denny, I mean, beyond the reaction we've already had, what's the action here in fantasy leagues if we have indeed lost Gus Edwards for the season? Right. I think we have to assume that he's done. Uh, The the reports coming out are are not uh, encouraging at all. If you rostered Tyson Williams who had an impressive uh, preseason for Baltimore, whether you also drafted Gus Edwards, whether you didn't, whether you picked him up as a flyer. I think you now have the primary, at least early down back in the run heavy Baltimore offense and someone who you should consider in 12 team formats, probably consider finding a way to get Tyson Williams into your lineup. You know, Lamar Jackson had a a comment after the team lost JK Dobbins, uh, for the season against Washington in the, in the preseason uh, when they asked him, you know, how, how are you guys going to operate uh, in the rushing game after this? He, he only mentioned two players. He only mentioned Gus Edwards and he mentioned Tyson Williams. And that was it. So I know Le'Veon Bell's there. I know Latavius Murray is a, a potential signing for Baltimore after being released right. by new Orleans. I, I still think, you know, you Tyson Williams has the you know clear lead to be the, the lead back there. The only thing is Tyson Williams, of course, was the number one pickup in my waiver wire call on Tuesday. Suggested 20 to 30% fab bid if you wanted to be aggressive was in the column. And so he's probably no longer a free agent in your league. And then you have to ask yourself for the fallout. And this is just happening. So I'm just thinking about this right now out loud is Le'Veon Bell, who's on the practice squad, Trenton Cannon, who was signed to the 53-man roster 24 hours 
after Le'Veon was added to the practice squad because Cannon will play on special teams as he's done throughout his career. Also, they tried out Devontae Freeman and Elijah Holyfield before signing Le'Veon. So they were looking to add a body anyways, and I will imagine they do so again. The best free agent, of course, being available right now, Latavius Murray, who was cooked in the preseason, but again, they have a need. So I would just say, make sure to correlate your decisions. I don't know who is a better pickup between Latavius and Le'Veon Bell, but you obviously can't do both. Because if you pick up Latavius thinking they'll sign him, that's fine. But that also means that you are betting against Le'Veon Bell. Thus, there's no need to worry about picking him up too. And I actually do sort of lean, oddly enough, he's not even on the roster, but Latavius over Le'Veon because Le'Veon was so watched last year. He got as many opportunities as possible to be in a committee with both Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards-Alaire whenever Alaire was healthy again. And they just healthy scratched Le'Veon because he was no use to them. And so... Everyone mentions that he'll be involved in passing downs, but again, that's why we didn't think Edwards and Tyson had a big ceiling anyways because passing downs for running backs don't exist in Baltimore. So that role doesn't happen for Le'Veon if he's called up to do that anyways. So I'm still very bearish on Le'Veon. I think uh, Murray's the pickup here, but overall, it all signs lead to Tyson Williams. And then, of course, if you still have the draft, if you avoided this nonsense somehow and you're still drafting on Friday or Saturday, I think Tyson Williams in the fourth round is a uh, really good bet right now. I mean, Tyson, Giant hit the nail on the head. The problem with Tyson Williams, if you're a Gus Edwards manager, is that Tyson is probably already rostered in your league. But the very first thing you obviously have to do is just make sure Tyson is not currently rostered. Right. And I agree with John, too, that I am prioritizing the player who is not even on the Baltimore Ravens or has not visited the Baltimore Ravens over Le'Veon Bell. And Latavius Murray just because he profiles as a much more a much easier like one for one replacement for Gus Edwards on early downs, and it could be a complete waste of a, a you know because maybe he is just washed up. I mean, he was cut by a team that knew him like very well that had a need behind Alvin Kamara, a guy who's never had a thousand yard season, a guy they like to keep rested on early downs. Like the Saints know Latavius' status is better than anybody, but uh, he just profiles as a more direct one for one replacement than Le'Veon, and of course. We saw Le'Veon be done in the regular season last year. And like maybe by Saturday, you're already moving on, but I would prioritize Latavius Murray over Le'Veon as well. So Tyson Williams is rostered in 37% of Yahoo leagues for whatever that's worth. Mm. Very quickly, we wouldn't dare, we, as we talk about Latavius Murray, I believe Todd Gurley did visit the Ravens already, right? Oh, like, that's right. Does that cross you guys' mind at all? Real quick response to that one. Anyone? Did he visit? I don't remember him visiting. He did. He did okay. visit. And I'm yeah. sure there, but he visited and he didn't sign. And then after they had the injury issues, they still didn't sign him. They signed Le'Veon Bell instead, which right. you know could be maybe reading too much between the le- between the lines. And of course, reading between the lines is that he worked out for them and they were not impressed. Okay. So as we try to oh, Daigle, did you have another comment on the backfield? Well, not really the backfield, but since it is the preview show and we have to spin into the preview. Uh, it's also a good sign for the Ravens' backfield, whomever it's going to be Monday night. We just talked about the options that the Ravens and Harbaugh, of course, not only own the preseason, but their regular season, season opener, having won their last five week one games by a combined score of 177 to 26. So not only will we see the roles fill out, but also we expect the backfield to get heavy usage because they will probably throttle the Raiders at home as their fans are partying in the club underneath the ground. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, speaking of heavy backfield usage, is there, Denny, any pass catcher on Baltimore this week for week one that you're feeling good about other than Mark Andrews? You know, I I, I 
have this feeling that uh, the Ravens are not going to pass it all that much here. They're playing, you know, a, conservatively a, a bottom five run defense in the Raiders. You know, last year when you adjusted for strength of schedule, the Raiders gave up the fourth most points to running backs, fantasy points to running backs. Only the Texans and Lions allowed more rushing touchdowns to running backs than the Raiders last year. So the the, the short answer is no. But if I if I had to play a Baltimore pass catcher besides Mark Andrews, I suppose it would be Sammy Watkins week one season. Yeah. Again. Really? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so like it's tough. Cause this does profile as a runathon for the Ravens. But of course, I don't know if you guys heard about this. They're like running a little low in the backfield on running backs right now. No, hadn't heard and, uh, so the Raiders, you know, have issues at every level of the defense. They're scrambling for bodies at linebacker right now. They have probably one of the league's slowest secondaries. Marquise Brown, I believe, I mean, he's good to go for week one. Uh, I am don't fear Marquise Brown because I don't fear playing Marquise Brown as like a wide receiver through three or four this week because what you said, what profiles profiled on paper is just a rushathon for the Ravens that might not be tenable. They might have to throw more than they would like to. And you know, the Raiders, they tend to keep games close early in the season under John Gruden. That's like just a narrative, of course, that doesn't mean anything. Oh. But the Raiders are always better in the first half of the season. So maybe this game, they've kind of made a tradition of playing a closer than expected game on these Monday night kickoffs. Uh, so they will at least probably be well prepared. John Gruden seems like the kind of guy who has a month to prepare. He's at least usually got the team in good shape. So I, I think the Ra- it's not going to be just ground and pound a thon from the Ravens, even though they're also running low on bodies a pass catcher. And I think this this does kind of enhance Marquise Brown's like wide receiver four safety and wide receiver three upsides because it's a good matchup in the secondary for the Ravens. And yeah, we just don't know how many carries they're going to have available out of their backfield. I could see, you know, from, from a, a narrative aspect, I know that's not the greatest way to approach these things, but you know, a, a home dog on Monday night uh, in a stadium with fans for the first time. I know as, as John said, many of them will be under the stadium partying, which is, <laughs> Many of them will be Ravens fans too. Ravens fans don't travel; they're not Steelers fans. No, but everyone's going to travel to these Raiders games, man. It's like oh, right. that's like their the, right. their business plan. It, to be fair, like I even wanted to stay. I'm in Vegas, of course, for the main event <laughs> drafts right now, which is why I have sleazy Planet Hollywood art up behind me <laughs> if you're watching the video. And I genuinely wanted to stay and go to the club Monday night for the game, uh, but nonetheless, yeah. we have to work. Yeah, but but uh, you uh, you're right. I could I could certainly see a scenario where Baltimore is forced into, you know, a little more pass heavy script than, than we would like or think or think. Yeah. yeah to say what you will about John Gruden. Yeah. When you give him an entire six or seven months to prepare for a game, he has a decent game plan. So it just makes the whole thing worth it. Uh, the 10 year contract. And also remember that Marquise Brown, like he showed in his very first game and of his career against the dolphins can spike two touchdowns, a big week on very limited rounds as a efficiency player. And so even if he has a limited target share, he can still easily get there as a very strong wide receiver three or flex play because the matchup is so good. All right. Meanwhile, when you look at this Raiders offense, we expect them to be trailing. So potentially uh, not a good game script for Josh Jacobs. Uh, so when it comes to the Raiders passing game, you've obviously got Darren Waller likely to command a ton of targets. After that, though, Nelson Aguilar is gone. John Brown's stay in Vegas was short lived. So it's Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards next in line for targets. Pat, are you buying the breakout case for either of these guys? And could that start in week one? I say not really believing it. It's probably going to be Hunter Renfro sadness is usually how these things end up with the Raiders. I mean, Brian Edwards, a guy who commanded a lot of hype and attention last year, had injury problems, didn't quite pan out, commanded a lot of hype and attention again this summer. Someone I want to have rostered ahead of week one and just 
such an uncertain situation, a situation with such a target vacuum. I'm definitely intrigued by Brian Edwards. There was less hype about Henry Ruggs, but by all accounts, he had a solid camp in preseason. Like, they're, they're happy with how he's looked. I mean, of course, they're going to say that because they so desperately need him to pan out. But it seemed like a very good summer for Brian Edwards, a solid summer for Henry Ruggs. Hunter Renfro, like, I was kidding, but, like, I mean, he is going to get a ton of targets. It's pretty unfortunate. But, like, that is definitely going to be a thing. Darren Waller, of course, might be – I think he was, like, sixth or seventh already in the league in targets last year. He could be top five because the need is just so acute. Uh, but Brian Edwards, I mean, not exactly a like a revolutionary opinion, but I would I want him rostered ahead of week one just to see how it shakes out with him because that is where the upside resides in this receiver core, I, I think, even over Henry Ruggs. The other piece of Ravens injury news here is potentially impactful for Vegas receivers and, and for Derek Carr, of course, uh, is that uh, Marcus Peters is reported that suffered a potentially significant knee injury per NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. That's a huge loss for the Baltimore secondary and one that probably makes the, the pass catchers for the Raiders slightly more appealing. You're, you're playing Darren Waller, you know, obviously, if you, if you have him. But, you know, borderline guys like Ruggs, like, uh, you know, Edwards, I think become more viable, um, it, probably in deeper formats. But it is it's significant. It's not as significant as the Gus Edwards thing for fantasy purposes, but we shouldn't ignore it, yeah. And I'll be just be monitoring the usage. Um, Henry Ruggs was still selected as the first receiver off the board among one of the most elite classes we've seen. So I haven't given up. But just the fact they gave him single-digit screens last year because they have no idea how to use them, I'm just curious if they will. You know, Brian Edwards will be out there when they healthy scratched him with Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, and Henry Ruggs in the preseason. That showed he was starting in 11 personnel. Having said that, it's not the hill I'm going to die on. If you want to throw him out there, that's fine. Uh, do not take it by my suggestion. Well, yeah, I'm saying I'm not saying start Brian Edwards. I just want yeah. him rostered to see how it unfolds. And Dagle, is there any like DFS sicko chatter on Hunter Renfro or no? Um, <laughs> no, like, but if you told me to pick the receiver right now who I think leads the Raiders wide receivers and targets, I would say Hunter Renfro. That's oh, what I thought. I oh. thought maybe he could become like a guy to like make the salaries fit this week. That maybe he'd be generating some of that chatter. But I guess, I guess since it's the Monday night game, uh, it's not going to get as much of attention, as much focus um, as it could have. All right, as we move through this, we're going to backtrack now to Sunday. We go to the early kickoffs on Sunday with the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to meet America's team, the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons favored by three, a total of 48 and a half. Let's start with the Philly side of things. Jalen Hurts, on average, the 10th quarterback off the board in Yahoo drafts. We've talked all offseason about why we're high on him, and this matchup certainly looks like a good, if not great one. But Daigle, let's look at his receivers. Who among this Philly passing game can we trust this week? Is it everyone? Real quick, this is Straub getting Daigle to admit that Devontae Smith is a special player. He's a t- t- he's a tape guy. He's just a special guy. He's a football guy. Film dinosaur. I even had a mention about that in the column that no one has yet to tell me whether Devontae Smith is going to lead in targets without sticking their hand in the grass first. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting matchup because the number is being steamed down. The totals going under. The props from our friends at PointsBet were released extremely low. 
Kyle Pitts, 41 receiving yards. Jalen Hurts, 39 and a half rushing yards. Uh, And I disagree completely. I know some very sharp people who are on the over, and I completely agree with that demographic. Just the fact that we know Dean Peace coming over and coordinating this Falcons defense without much talent at all is probably going to send blitzes, and it's going to be jailbreaks for Hurts. And what what does he do best is exactly what he did last year, and that is run the ball, 12 carries per game, his three full starts, and chuck it deep as a, a top 10 rate of throws 20 plus yards downfield whenever he did do those starts. And so whether that's Devonta or Kez Watkins or Jalen Rager, I don't know, but either way, I think the points and the explosion from both sides of the ball, um, it's a really good matchup here. It's really, it's like Jalen Hurts couldn't have asked for a better matchup to begin the season based a guy who spent his whole summer kind of getting dragged through the narrative mud, you know, by his own coaching staff, uh, a guy who just where the commitment is, clearly very limited from his team and a, a momentum type. Uh, I don't It is weird because Dean Pease is now coaching up this Falcons defense. It's not going to be the same like laughable Falcons defense we saw the past two years, save for the second half of 2019 where they were like weirdly the 85 bears. I don't know if anyone remembers that stretch. I, do. I blacked out uh, in the second half of the 2019 season, but still a, a Falcons defense very, very low on talent. And like this, certainly, if you were going to like design a spot for Jalen Hurts to get some confidence, kind of get in the coaching staff's good graces, uh, the Falcons would be it. And also this week, uh, Danny, I don't know if you adjusted the ranks, but Nick Sirianni, he finally did say a nice thing about Jalen Hurts. I he saw said that. He thought that he was a stud. He was talking about, of course, back, I believe, at the Senior Bowl. But at some point, he did believe that Jalen Hurts was a stud. I thought he was talking about his good looks. But <laughs> I guess that was – about his play. He's the whole pa- it was the whole package, his play, his looks, uh just, you know, his, his personality. He's a handsome guy. There's nothing, you know, there's no argument against that. The um yeah, the the Falcons secondary is is, is potentially horrific. Sorry, mm-hmm. Matt. Uh you know, the the uh, I know you know this. Uh Pro Football Focus graded them coming into the season or ranked them 32nd and uh by uh what Pro Football Focus wrote it, it doesn't it's it's not looking good it's not looking like there's much upside in the coverage unit for Atlanta the the issue i think is <laughs> that Jalen Hurts is incredibly inaccurate it might not matter that the Falcons secondary isn't good here because Jalen Hurts in his in his last two starts now i know he was yanked famously from his last start last year and and Joe Judge will never recover <laughs> but you know the the uh that's right, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's still not mad about it at all. He's still he's never never been mad online. He thought and, it was funny. And Jalen Hurts uh, was forty six percent completion rate in his last two starts. So if they if the Eagles get down here to the Falcons and he has to drop back and throw, I actually kind of like the Falcons for fantasy purpose. If, if you're like desperate for a streaming defense, I think that 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 can work. Saying that. The, the props that Daigle said, cited a minute ago with Hertz's rushing yards and Pitts's receiving yards seem insanely low to me. It's also on the other side of the ball, which I'm sure you were about to transition to your boys, Matt. I don't know his outlook, you know, in 17 games as a seventh year, 28 year old who has yet to break out. But with Wayne Gallman still learning the playbook, like this is the game. Mike Mm. Davis has to get all the touches. Like this is the one week we can feel very confident in playing him, whether it's DFS or season long, and then we'll go from there. But this matchup, and again, I think the number's wrong. I think the over is the stronger play. Uh, It's just a tremendous spot. 
So yeah, we feel pretty good about Mike Davis. As you said, we obviously love Calvin Ridley. We like and may in fact love Kyle Pitts. Uh, but I want to ask you guys about Matt Ryan quickly, the 20th quarterback off the board on average in Yahoo drafts, four spots after Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, when you bake in what should be much better play calling from Arthur Smith and just an overall better offensive environment, I think, despite the loss of Julio Jones, Denny, has the disrespect of Matty Ice possibly gone a little too far? Uh, I know he's your number one quarterback coming into the season, but no, they uh, possibly it's just hard. It's just hard to uh, go in on, you know, like a dinosaur pocket passing quarterback these days in, in fantasy, the zoomers don't even know who Matt Ryan is. And uh, I, you know, so I, I do think that he's more like a super flex kind of start, even in a decent matchup. I I'm, I'm on board with what Daigle is saying about this game seems like a shootout like i don't know why it would devolve into a defensive matchup between the eagles and and falcons and i and i believe unless i'm reading this wrong that the over under has has creeped up by by a point i know that's not hugely significant but maybe there's some recognition that you know that there will be some points scored here so you know matt matt ryan i think is is a, is a solid like super flex star just i don't know how you play him in 12 team leagues. i'm curious where you have him ranked pat because i have him at 15 15 feels like it makes sense but it's nothing substantial it's literally just above other fringe starters like tua who was in a bad matchup and then of course the streaming guys that i want to play him over still like baker mayfield kirk cousins list goes on and on I have him as the QB 14 and what I'll just say like season long on Matt Ryan. So I was editing an article the other day and it said Matt Ryan had finished as a QB one each of the past three seasons. I'm like, well, we got to get the facts right in these articles. That's not right. I guess I'll double check it just in case. And he was the QB 12 by average points last season, thereby making him a QB QB one each of the past three seasons. He's lost to Leo Jones. Of course he's lost. He's going to lose attempts. I mean, the Matt Ryan fantasy He's the pocket dinosaur, but he was always in the QB1 mix because he's attempting over 600 passes a year. We know that's not – I mean, maybe Arthur Smith is just a genius and, like, works with the personnel he has, but he was never an attempts guy in Tennessee. He was an efficiency guy. And it's just all about if Arthur Smith can make Matt Ryan far more efficient. Because Matt Ryan is an accurate passer. He can be an efficient passer. And, like, if, with no running threat, can he really be, like, as efficient on play action, as efficient as Ryan Tannehill was in Tennessee – and that's just really what it boils down to, Matt Ryan, because I've just like taken it as an article of faith that the attempts could be down by like at least a hundred this year for Matt Ryan. Ryan Tannehill was nowhere was not even in Matt Ryan's galaxy before he became Ryan Tannehill Titans edition, though. So I have a little faith in Arthur Smith when it comes to this stuff. That's true. Something to look forward to, Matt. And see, that's honestly what it comes down to is that do you believe in Arthur Smith? And I think we all do, especially since we know Nick Sirianni brought over his friends from the Colts to be defensive coordinators where they've historically run a league-heavy amount of zone. And you know who's going to gobble up zone? Cal freaking Pitts. There's no way those linebackers can stop him at all once he settles and finds his spots. Okay, next, it's the Vikings at the Bengals, a total of 47 and a half Minnesota, three-point road favorite here. I want to start with the Bengals, and I, I think there's two kind of big questions here on Cincinnati side of things. Number one, how ready is Joe Burrow coming off knee surgery, and how ready is Jamar Chase coming off that drop-filled preseason? Uh, the Jamar Chase drops thing has become such a thing that he has talked about how the NFL football is more difficult to catch because it doesn't have those sweet, sweet stripes, those white stripes that the college football has. This is where we are now with Jamar Chase. Daigle, 
with this in mind, how are you approaching uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase week one? How much faith do you have? On paper, we still believe in the volume. We still believe in league high passing play rates whenever Joe Burrow was under center. We still believe in league high pace and neutral game scripts whenever Burrow was healthy last year. But the Vikings defense has gotten much better, which is concerning. Last year in week one, their dime package, their top four corners, had nine combined career starts. Just plugged a bunch of late-round rookies and guys from UPS onto the field to start. And then this year, much more experience. 282 career starts, including Patrick Peterson, who understand hasn't been the same player the last two years since he was tested for PEDs, but also has shown he can be left on an island when he's at his best. And then you factor in a front seven that's not only top-heavy, but rich with depth. Sheldon Richardson, Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson, Daniil Hunter returning, and then Everson Griffin, assuming he's healthy as well. So I think the pain is coming for the Bengals in week one, especially given the woes of their offensive line. I love the Vikings team total over 25 and a half. I don't think there's any way the Bengals defense can stop the Vikings here. You don't love a quarterback who like was openly musing about like his confidence issues coming back from injury over the summer, right. facing a Mike Zimmer coach defense, like any Mike Zimmer coach defense. And then one, like John said, has been reinforced, replenished behind a Bengals offensive line that, I mean, the New York Giants' offensive line is definitively worse than the Bengals, but not that might be the only one that's like definitively worse than the Bengals. The, the, the Bengals have outcomes where they're not a bottom five offensive line, but they're kind of like a bottom five offensive line until proven otherwise. And it it is very concerning. It's just not what you would have drawn up for Joe Burrow in his first game back from a torn ACL. So I am concerned about the Bengals' team outlook uh, this weekend against, hey, you know, it's plus two. We all love the narrative. It's an odd numbered year. And the Vikings win at least 11 games every odd-numbered year. So this yeah, is where analytics, it baby. Yeah, analytics. analytics. And, and we all know Mike Zimmer loves loves him some analytics. I got that from Hayden Winks, by the way. He's That's his number one guiding principle is like even number odd-numbered year stats. So Hayden, I never heard of him. Uh, the, yeah, I'm <laughs> I love Hayden. Uh, so, the yeah, John's right. This Vikings defense is not the pushover unit that we were used to last year. Like, we all, you know, as fantasy managers, we found ourselves targeting the Vikings defense every time we could, you know, like they were generous to running backs. They were generous to, to tight ends for a time. Wide receivers were eating them up, especially over the middle of the field. Now that's probably not the case with all those upgrades. And, and you know, I think, you know, Pat's been saying this since like March or something that you can bank on Mike Zimmer, like getting his defense right. And while a lot of things had to come into place before we saw that that was actually happening, it did happen. It happened. And I think, you know, like for DFS purposes, I think, you know, you, you can dabble with the, the, the receivers for, for the Bengals, but I don't I don't want anything to do with Joe Burrow this week. That's the thing. Uh, the good news is the receivers. It's still – I know it's three guys, but it's still concerted, those three guys. So they all have high floors. So you're not worrying about the matchup. You can play them individually. If you did end up with a double stack, it's probably good in the long run. But I apologize for this week because it probably won't go well. Having said that, you should look to get off Burrow. And John, it's weird real quick what you said, but, but it's it's weird to think of a, an offense that goes a legit three wide, a receiver of being narrow – but it's still a kind of a narrow target tree. It's the three yeah. receivers and then like sort of Joe Mixon and then no one else. So even with the three receivers, that can be like daunting, like in principle, like, well, who's going to actually, how are all three of these guys going to get, get enough targets? It's because there's not a legit fourth option beyond the running back. 
for the Vikings, we don't need to spend long on this because I think it might actually be kind of a gross question, but is there any Minnesota pass catcher, Denny, you would trust beyond Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen? Yeah, a little gross. Uh, you know, Dalvin Cook is is an exception, and, and I know you're talking about, like, pass catcher is not in the backfield. I guess Tyler Conklin, you know, like, I guess he might be a, a deeper play with some with some upside uh, with Irv Smith's injury, but Conklin's not right either. He's not healthy headed into this week. So that leaves what Chris Herndon is Herndon going to dress? I mean, there are a lot of issues at tight end for, for Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dag almost called you Evan. I wish that you were in Chicago right now. So you can get Evan on the show quick and get him to weigh in on Tyler Conklin. He's been the biggest Tyler Conklin fan in the world for like five years. And so we need to find out the big dog, thinks Conklin's going to be the number three passing game option for the Vikings. Well, I did a main event with him earlier this week, and I can assure you in the last rounds, he was yelling for Tyler (laughs) Conklin, who, as we know, is at least an athlete. He hasn't flashed any production just yet in the NFL, but this would be his opportunity since they acquired Chris Herndon in more of a pick swap quietly because they did give up the fourth and then get back a six. So pretty much the same thing. Also, there were reports Herndon was brought over to block in 12 personnel, which is odd because that's what he did worse with the Jets. Yeah. Outside right. of his drops, he is a terrible blocker. So it makes doesn't make much sense. He learned to block though. <laughs> maybe so. But there are outs um, because maybe it just increases the floors and ceilings of Jefferson and Thielen, and there's no other answer beyond them in the passing game. So perhaps like we actually just lucked into higher ceilings for those two players. Yeah, I would say the Irv injury, its biggest impact will be firewalling Adam Thielen's touchdown regression and like firewalling Justin Jefferson's targets floor. Like it, 150 feels like the floor now for Justin Jefferson. And if you are in need of a late tight end or one off the wire, I mentioned them all in the waiver wire column again. That came out Tuesday. It's still on site. I believe uh, – the guys, the big bosses, the big wigs actually put its own tab up if you go hover over the NFL cursor on NBCSportsEdge.com. So it's right there. But I would go Tyler Croft over Tyler Conklin if you have, let's say, Irv Smith, Evan Ingram, someone you know that you're not going to play just because I think Tyler Croft is going to play significantly more snaps than Conklin. Uh, and so that's the route we're taking for safety. The San Francisco 49ers will officially be the first team to potentially have their knees gnawed to shreds by the Detroit Lions as they travel to Detroit. Niners are seven and a half point road favorites, a total of a mere 45 in this one. Uh, Pat, when you look at that total, are you still bullish on all the Niners pass catchers in this matchup? Obviously, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel, or do you worry about one of those guys taking a back seat in a game San Francisco should control? I mean, I think you can be confident in the Niners doing their part to uphold the total or get it to an over because... It's shaping up. Is, so one of the strengths of the Lions team was supposed to be his offensive line. And now Taylor Decker is already appearing like he's going to be out week one. Like Penny Sewell is going to get probably thrust under the blind side after kind of a shaky summer. And it's shaping up as a potential disaster game for the 49ers. And maybe like the recipe for the 49ers pass catchers there is like some dysfunction from the 49ers running game. I'm purely projecting here because we don't know. Like maybe they don't really know how they want it to shake out yet. Trey Lance doesn't seem like he's going to be fully ready for whatever like Taysom Hill type role they have in mind for him. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a very run heavy game script uh, game plan for the 49ers. You have to assume. And Brandon, Ayuk, a guy I love, I had ended up ranking kind of outside the top 24, not necessarily because of the lions even, uh, but it's because just offense with so many moving parts right now in the 49ers where we don't know how the, the backfield touches are going to delineate. Uh, we don't know how it's going to – we've never had Debo Samuel 
we barely had Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk healthy at the same time. And I don't know if we have a true sense of like what the targets totem pole is really going to be for the 49ers. And we just don't know how they're going to use their quarterbacks. So I was uh, conservative with my 49ers receiver rankings this week. On the other side of the ball, it's interesting because the last time we saw Anthony Lynn as an OC, which was with the Bills, uh, that team in 2016 finished with the second most handoffs per game. And they haven't hid the fact that they're going to bite kneecaps and keep the ball on the ground. Meanwhile, Panay Sewell has struggled throughout camps and preseason games as if he hadn't played football in a year. Go figure. And Taylor Decker wasn't spotted at Lions practice on Thursday. That's both their starting tackles. And so that's a long-winded narrative road way of saying if Trey Lance is also limited with that splint because he's still not doing anything in practice. He's showing up and doing conditioning. I don't like where this is going, John. He's not throwing the ball. So if we have a bad offense, no rushing quarterback, or at least a limited one, and then the whole offseason has been around keeping Mostert healthy long-term, don't all roads lead back to Trey Sermon in this game? I love it. I was worried you were about to concoct a Jimmy Garoppolo case and then it immediately sort of to Trey Sermon. And I mean, I love it. I love, yeah. Why? And plus, see, see what the rookies got, folks. We got to throw him into the fire against the Detroit Lions. See what he's got. But uh, yeah, that I, that's a very convincing case you just laid out for for Trey Sermon. The offensive line injuries are significant and have pushed me off of the probably horrible take that the Lions had a chance to shock shock the Niners in Week One uh, at home with Dan Campbell firing up his his uh, his guys in front of a home crowd. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you have Moster, if you drafted Moster, if you drafted Sermon, it would be hard, I think, in especially like in 10, well, 10 team leagues would be very difficult to find a way to get them in. But 12 team leagues, I think you you, you need to figure out how to like jam them into your lineup because you, they should have a lead. And this team runs a lot when they have a lead. Um, so I think both guys can be viable if, if everything breaks right for the Niners. You're playing a name game with Mostert and Sermon. Like you're going down the list and saying, would I start him over these guys? And someone like Javante Williams, for instance, someone like Miles Gaskin, I actually think I would take the chance and use one of those two as my RB2 instead. They're both in like that RB27 to 32 range. So like high-end flex plays. Very, very quickly on the Detroit side of things. Danny, I'm sorry, this is coming your way. DeAndre Swift coming off a groin injury, but he's been a full participant. Looks like he's going to play. Is it him and Hawkinson and no one else you'd even consider uh, in a league of any normal right. depth for this Lions team? Are you, even looking, are you even stashing a receiver from this team? I mean, seems like Tyrell Williams is, is just kind of quietly going to see a lot of targets on the outside. I, I don't, you know, I guess my best effort is just to say Tyrell Williams. But, yeah, I mean, it comes down to Hawkinson. It comes down to Swift, who will take on the pass-catching role and is really good in, in that role. Uh, I don't think this is a week. If there are any weeks where you can confidently plug in uh, Jamal Williams, I, I don't, I don't think that this is it. So it might be, like you said, just ha- just Hawkinson and Swift. Strop, let me commandeer the podcast. I am the host for the next ten seconds. We're going to do rapid <laughs> fire with Denny Carter and John Daigle. Who scores more points in redraft season long leagues this year? Let's say half PPR: Tyra Williams or Amon Ross St. Brown. Williams. Williams. I hate it, but it feels right. Full PPR. I can maybe be swayed to Amon Ra. Wow. 
that's a sure sign to move on right, right there. I yes. tried to I tried to make one line do one lines question, but we did two. Every, everyone uh, hold their applause as we talk about the Lions receivers. <laughs> I know. I say, Matt, I said we are very lawyerly as a group where if we say one word, our brains interpret that as one page. Let's um, let's so, yeah cleanse our palates here we move from one of the lowest projected totals of the week to the second highest it's the cardinals at the titans a total of 52 in this one tennessee a three-point favorite clearly we can have some pretty big expectations for kyler murray and deandre hopkins to connect in a game with shootout potential but daigle what about the other cardinals guys the intriguing cardinals guys in particular chase edmonds and rondale moore what are your expectations for them in this opener I mean, this is the game that everyone should be tuned into because this is the one that truly has fireworks as we are not concerned about either secondary. Cardinals led the league in situation-neutral pace and no-huddle rate last year. And as I'm sure you've heard by now, if not, you've been living under a rock. Kyler Murray, of course, averaged 29.2 fantasy points per game through the first 10 games, which is the most in history for a quarterback to that point. Meanwhile, this poor Cardinals secondary with Byron Murphy, a poor second rounder who's their number one, Robert Alford as their number two, who didn't even play football last year, and no one that had been drafted inside the fourth round beyond that in their secondary depth now has to somehow cover A.J. Brown, who returned to practice on Thursday, and Julio Jones, who has averaged six catches, 100 yards, and 21 fantasy points per game in 10 career week one starts. And that may be too narrative splitsy, but I say it actually is pertinent split since he's always good when healthy. It's never been the issue about being good when he's on the field. And when is he the most healthy? The past few years when he's played the veteran card and just participated limitedly, which is not a word, in <laughs> preseason and training camp. So, of course, he's fully healthy right now, and I expect uh, both offense to go absolutely berserk in this game. Yeah, the Cardinals' defense kind of punched above its weight for a lot of last year. I could never quite figure out why. Maybe, I think the pass rush kind of took over a few games, but – he said it's just dire at cornerback. I mean, Malcolm Butler would literally retire than rather play for the secondary. I actually don't remember. I think he retired for personal reasons, but he retired. And like that, when Malcolm Butler's like your big solution, that's a problem in and of itself. And he's no longer part of the solution. Like this is a green light matchup for our boys, AJ Brown and Julio Jones. That's a great stat on, on Julio. And you're right. I mean, you know, uh, Lawrence, uh, Lord Don't Lose on Twitter, uh, did a, a great video on, on Julio the other day and had a great stat about the fact that he had six full games. OK, he had nine total games, six full games where he, he wasn't limping on and off the field with a hamstring issue. And in those games, he put up his regular fantasy output, you know, and the, the hamstring issues, the soft tissue, tissue stuff with bigger receivers getting older. That's a real thing. And it's uh, it's a major, major concern both for the Titans and for, for managers who drafted Julio. But if he can get this one weekend healthy, then uh, in, in this environment, incredibly great, good uh, fantasy environment, it's going to be hot as hell. These, these teams are these defenses are going to be exhausted. They're going to need fluids. Get all your guys in there, all of them. I'll say a quick note on A.J. Brown, too. I wouldn't worry at all about missing practice with a knee on Wednesday. It's, it's concerning that he's 24 and is already a maintenance day guy, but he yeah. was a maintenance day guy all of last year, right. and there's no reason to be concerned about that. That's right. I want to ask you guys, because Rondell Moore is obviously a guy that a lot of fantasy managers are stashing. He's 26% rostered. Dago, what do you need to see out of Rondell Moore, not necessarily in terms of yardage, but in terms of usage for you to feel encouraged enough to keep him around your roster? 
I don't need to see anything. I think he's immediately a flex play. The concern, of course, would be the Cardinals jamming Adrian Green targets, which they didn't do in the one preseason game he was in for with Rondell Moore. And I know everyone just can't wrap their head around Moore because their brains shut down when they hear about his 5'7 frame. But the number four jersey he wears is actually Avengers armor because he squatted 600 pounds as a superhero at 174 and was recruited to Purdue initially with the nation's highest spark score as a sheer athlete. Arizona, recall last year, led the league with 13 plays per game from 10 personnel, four wide receivers on the field, meaning Moore should be glued as the team's starting slot receiver as he was used in the preseason on 44 of 47 snaps, jammed nine targets and three carries as well on the field all the time, whether it's 10 or 11. And he had a laughable 1.3 yard depth of target. But again, that's actually great for him because that's exactly how he flourished in college since 71% of his collegiate receiving yardage came after the catch. So I, I genuinely don't think there's a way Cliff Kingsbury can screw up Rondell Moore, especially in this matchup. Uh, so much so that I have him ranked over Elijah Moore, everyone else's favorite rookie for week one. First off, don't now you just jinxed it. Cliff, like challenge accepted there for sure. And I'm just going to tie this together with Elijah Moore and AJ Brown. Elijah Moore is so good that he brought AJ Brown to tears. Don't forget yes. that. Don't forget that. All right. Three more games on the early slate to hit. And then more after that. That includes the Seahawks at the Colts. Seattle favored by two and a half, a total of 50. You know, that Tennessee offense, which we were just talking about a second ago, it, so much of it is going to funnel through, obviously, Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and Julio Jones. I think it's a similar thing with Seattle, where so much of it's going to go through Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, top two receivers, D.K. Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. Denny, is there any other fantasy value to be found on this roster? Uh, Gerald Everett is interesting. Do I, it. I, I, do the line. I, do, do the line. Yeah, uh, yeah right. And so I always have to talk about the borderline tight end that no one wants to uh, talk about or play. But yeah, I mean, Gerald Everett is is extremely familiar with the system, came over with Shane Waldron, kind of a recruit situation. Shane Waldron, of course, coming from the, the Rams like, like Everett. I think he shapes up as probably the number three target. The Seahawks really love Will Disley, though. They they love that guy like like their own, like their son for some reason. I think he is uh, Pete Carroll's son. Yeah. I mean, we have to look into it. We have to consider it that that, that that's the case going forward. But yeah, I, I think Everett could prove to be, you know, kind of nice for fantasy purposes. But, you know, just getting back to this game in general, besides the the Titans and Cardinals, uh, this has maybe the best environment of the week and probably one that might go a little bit, a little bit undercover. Uh, I really like players on both sides of the ball here. I think Gerald Everett, by the way, is the third option to see. I mean, I think that's not just a meme. I think that like is reality. And I, I, I never just could decide like what the proper ADP range for Gerald Everett. I mean, would anyone be surprised really if he kind of ended up in like that tight end, like 10 to 16 range. So maybe yeah. not like an every week tight end one, but a guy who's just kind of always in the mix on the borderline so like there. 460 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> two catches per game is good for tight end seven. That's a good, that's a good point. That's fair. But uh, he's been talking, they've been talking up all offseason, like the chemistry between Russell Wilson and Gerald Everett. They've been praying together. I don't know if you read this on Twitter. They are bonding as brothers and they just have the targets need. It's an offense and a quarterback that have never been shy about targeting the seam. Shane Waldron coming from the Rams, who have never been shy about targeting the seam. Of course, 
uh, intimately familiar with the player and Gerald Everett. I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be two weekly catches for 29 yards. I think he's in good position to be like the tight end 11. And also we prefer athletic tight ends, which is why he was drafted initially by McFay uh, who are being used creatively and the reports from camp are that he's been used from the slot as a gadget player. He's basically been all over the field, um, has become Russ's third favorite target. And so if that's what we're getting against this poor Colts defense that lost to Nico Autry and Justin Houston, who led those positions and snaps last year, they're going to try to make up for that loss with Quiddy Pay, an undersized pass rusher in his first year. Not to mention that Xavier Rhodes has yet to practice throughout the week. And that's for whatever we think about him, his num- their number one corner too. This line has swung five to five and a half points, depending where you are betting. It opened up as the Seahawks two and a half point dogs. And now the Seahawks are two and a half to three point favorites, again, depending on the book. And I think that's totally justified given the cluster injuries and cluster COVID lists that have happened with the Colts. And so you are playing Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. Pittman, of course, for the target share without T.Y. Hilton. And just the fact that it's only Zach Pascal and Paris Campbell around him soaking up other targets. But other than that, you don't feel good or safe with anyone else. I really like Pittman, and I, I think I'm going to be incredibly wrong in, our, in my ongoing uh, Pittman battle with Pat, where you know, he, you've been on Pittman. Week one's going to be rough for me. I'm, I'm going to. He's gonna a, be an out. alpha guy. He's a film guy. He just uh, <laughs> Look, yeah, go out in my backyard, hand in the grass, like John said. I'm getting excited about Pittman. Whatever film analytics, Pittman, Pittman could absolutely destroy the, that Seattle uh, secondary. Get get a ton of targets if game flow is is how I think it'll go. Pittman, by the way, the 55th receiver off the board in Yahoo League, so it, it won't take a lot to crush that ADP. But speaking of this indie backfield, Jonathan Taylor's ADP landed at 10.6 in Yahoo Leagues when it was all mostly said and done. I want to ask you guys about that backfield quickly because it's a backfield with four guys we know they've trusted in the past. Beyond Taylor, Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack is back, and Jordan Wilkins. Daigle, is it possible this is going to be more of a soul-crushing or at least very annoying committee than we're willing to admit early on. Like, do we have blinders on a little bit when it comes to Jonathan Taylor's early season usage? I do not have blinders on. Uh, Naheem Hines, even Jonathan Taylor's big stretch to close the year last year, averaged nine and a half touches per game. He was involved. And if we are down on the Colts, I've been down on the Colts off se- all offseason for better or worse. Uh, when we get into negative game scripts, which I think they'll be facing a lot of this year, there is no guarantee. He's not Alvin Kamara, right? There's no guarantee that Taylor stays on the field in those situations permanently. When Naheem Hines, he's very good at that role. And so, yes, that's why I think always if you are betting in drafts, which, again, maybe you are the next two days, who knows? But if you're betting against Taylor and you don't have him, Naheem Hines was the perfect leverage option off of the Colts offense altogether. I will say, I think I can make the positive case for Jonathan Taylor. Maybe not this week where game script, game flow is going to be rough, but I think Marlon Mack will probably be like a healthy scratch where he's probably still not actually healthy coming back from that torn Achilles. Uh, Jordan Wilkins is like a pure breather back. The Naheem Hines role is not going away. It's going to be there all year. But I mean, we talked about like the just total dearth of targets at receivers. He's almost going to be taking like, I feel like touches away from like receivers more than touches away from Jonathan Taylor. And it's an offense. It's just in such dire straits and it's skill groups right now that we know this offense is going to be funneled through the run built through the run. It's a very bad division, a division where they're hopefully going to at least get four or five division games with like where they can kind of impose their running will, so to speak. 
and do what they want to do on offense, build their offense off the back of the run. And there's going to be frustrating weeks with John Taylor. When, you, when you're not the locked-in pass catcher, it's just kind of the nature of the game at running back. But, you know, when last we left him in the regular season, he was having like the ninth highest single-game rushing total in NFL history. He was the guy they thought they were getting from Wisconsin down the stretch last year. And he's one of those guys where there's going to be weeks where he costs you dearly. But I think at the end of the season of Jonathan Taylor, the ADP will have been correct, and he's going to be like a top six or seven back. And, again, that's why I said you play him. He's safe this week. Because when you look around at your top-end RB1s you drafted early anyhow, Saquon, Zeke, Aaron Jones, Eckler, Joe Mixon, none of these are matchups we like. So you suck it up and you just play them because you drafted them at a high, and they're all in bad situations anyways. I, I have to interrupt, by the way. I've been texted breaking news that Devontae Freeman has signed with the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, our researcher Blake just sent that over as well. 100% of your fab budget on Devontae Freeman, guys. That's a joke. I mean, I'll seriously ask it, though. People are going to be wondering whether to add Devontae Freeman in their season-long leagues. Is that something any of you guys would do? I mean, we were just talking about Latavius Murray. The issue is that Devontae Freeman was also washed uh, whenever he played. He couldn't even make it to final cuts uh, with the Saints. So that's concerning as well. It's still Tyson Williams- Boy, Le'Veon Bell and Freeman are such a bad RB2 yeah. combo. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. Patrick Ricard, the fullbacks, end up being the RB2. Deeper leagues, like high-stakes FFPC, for instance, like running backs are coveted so highly, and I wrote this in the column, in those formats. So sprinkling a couple bucks on these players, if they get touches, it's it's probably fine. But your standard 10 to 12 team Yahoo leagues, I, I don't know how Bell or Freeman deliver any value. I think I think Tyson Williams is in a great is in great position yeah. to just be the guy. Like he he was really showed showed up in preseason games, showed out. The kids mm-hmm. might say, you know, even against you know first team defenses. Like it, it wasn't just against scrubs, although some of it some of it was. I don't know. I think if you just if you can get Tyson Williams, he's available in two thirds of leagues. Apparently, you do it immediately. Most people listening to this podcast are probably in leagues with Tyson was already added. And I think I would just say that none of this is concerning for him. Like they needed no. bodies. They, they needed, they were going to have to sign running backs regardless. And we have yet to see a single signing or rumored signing that is in any way concerning for Tyson Williams. We have five games left to preview, but first we are going to take a very quick break. The season is finally here and to get an edge on your competition with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you're eyeing on the waiver wire, sign up for NBC Sports Edge Plus. We have extended 20% off our annual subscription using the code FBPOD20. Again, that's FBPOD20 for 20% off an annual subscription. We have a matchup between two of the bright young rising star quarterbacks in this league it's justin herbert and the chargers traveling to meet ryan fitzpatrick and the washington football team the football team favored by a single point a total of just 44 and a half in this baby let's start with the chargers because there's some injury news there austin eckler missed wednesday's practice and thursday's due to a hamstring injury according to doug kide of pff the chargers are optimistic that eckler will be ready pat how worrisome is this to you given eckler's hamstring history yeah, I mean, anytime you have a guy who missed six games with a hamstring injury last year, we, we heard nothing about it all summer. And then on the eve of week one, he's mysteriously not practicing with a hamstring injury. It's very concerning. Further reinforces that even if the charge, so the Chargers need Austin Eckler for a bigger role, but they just know that they can't do it. They cannot expand his workload. He is having trouble staying on the field, even in his like current 
like change of pace, 12 to 15 touches a game. He just can't, he'll never be like a 20 touch player. And, uh, it is, and the, like, what is even, did we ever establish if Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson was the backup? I feel like it's Larry Justin Roundtree. Jackson is the primary early, uh, my boy, Larry Roundtree from Mizzou. Um, but I think it's Justin Jackson, but man, it is uh, tough to say. In the preseason, they still used Kelly on the goal line, even when it was Justin Jackson, who has the archetype of a three-down guy, not Kelly. Um, issue, of course, is that Kelly is also very bad, as he showed last year. So yes. I don't know which direction you would go if there's even a direction to go if Eckler is somehow ruled out. Kelly is the poor man's version of Zach Moss, and I wouldn't even want to be the rich man's version of Zach Moss. Too soon? <laughs> it's too soon. Way too soon. Now I want to ask about another injury on the Washington side of things. Curtis Samuel's groin injury continues to be a massive issue. Didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. He actually reportedly pulled up on a, on a route Wednesday. That groin injury has been lingering all summer. Denny, what's your level of concern for his season-long outlook at this point? And does anyone stand to benefit, assuming he's sidelined? Deami Brown, perhaps? Yeah, Deami Brown. I think I think uh, if Curtis Samuel is out this week, uh, is, a, is a pretty solid start i mean maybe not in 12 team leagues but 14 team i think you can you can fit him in there definitely like very little floor uh but you know i definitely a, a ceiling play uh i think he fits he fits fitzpatrick's way of operating in the pocket his aggressive downfield passing that we've seen at, at other pit stops and and fits his career i think brown fits well with that so he, I believe he'd be the main beneficiary. I guess there's also Adam Humphreys, which I know I know Brown is the far sexier pick here, like like the far sexier play. I get that, like you know, college production wise and all that. But like Humphreys might just like luck into a bunch of targets if Curtis Samuel's not in there, and for PPR purposes, it might not be so bad. You'll be hearing I, from the Missy's lawyers about that. I, I I actually I totally agree. I hate that I've become. Uh, the voice of the voiceless for Adam Humphreys. <laughs> but just the fact that he had 700 yards and five touchdowns in 2018 right. with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Of course, we know quarterbacks have their favored receivers. Uh, I believe Humphreys is, could could outproduce Diami Brown like significantly. Um, Diami Brown is a deep threat, of course, a la Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but we also know those are extremely volatile targets. Right. So if he only gets three – he has a hit on one. It's an extremely thin play against an extremely tough charter secondary that is still going overlooked with Derwin James healthy for what seems like the first time in his career. And just adding a player like Asante Samuel, who projected as a shutdown corner anyways, and he's their third corner with like one of the best slot corners in the league, Chris Harris, covering yep. up the middle of the field. So I'm worried about the matchup. Again, I think it's going to be the equivalent of a San Antonio Spurs basketball game. It's just all fundamentals in this one, and it's going to be fun to watch. But fantasy production-wise, I think you play your guys, your studs, and that's about it. In the redraft, the answer for Diami Brown or Adam Humphreys, I feel like will be none. But didn't Mr. Corain, I think said Diami Brown's like one of the best dynasty prospects ever, basically, in terms of like draft capital or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he is a genuinely exciting uh, guy out there in the dynasty streets. But yeah, we probably need to temper the redraft expectation. All right. So four games to go. And Pat, I just want to say a sincere thank you for not taking this game off our plate when you did your Wednesday preview. I'm shocked that you didn't. It's the last of the early games, and what a beaut it is. It's the Jags at the Texans, two teams that went a combined 5-27 and 27 last season. Jacksonville is favored by three, a total of 45 and a half. Danny, I know that you're high on LaVisca Chenault. His ADP landed at 118 on Yahoo. I want to 
talk about the guy, the receiver, the teammate who went a few picks before him, DJ Chark, ADP of 114 on Yahoo. Is there a case for being bullish on Shark a couple years removed from that breakout 2019 and coming off a disappointing 2020 now that he's catching passes from Trevor Lawrence? I just have had a hard time getting a read on Shark. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you get a good read on him eventually, let me know because it's it's been <laughs> difficult with Urban Meyer, you know, first of all, like in uh, leveling a huge insult against TJ Chark, calling him a big guy who plays small. That was the first thing he ever said about Chark. In- incredible. Yeah, after, you know, and Chark has been good. You know, like I know last year was tough, but yeah, I wrote I wrote him up last year as a as an air yard slash prayer yards uh, guy who you know just wasn't getting good downfield looks from Gardner Minshew, who had massive massive regression on on deep passes. So he still could have that role, but Marvin Jones also kind of profiles as that sort of guy in the Jags offense. I just don't know exactly where Chark fits. I don't, it's unclear if Urban Meyer and the coaching staff have confidence in Chark. So I don't see a scenario where you can confidently play him pretty much in any format uh, this week. You know, Marvin Jones, far better play. And obviously I think LaVisca is a better play than, than Chark. And now's the time to also get in on James Robinson before Duke Johnson is perhaps called up or they figure out another gadget guy to perhaps play him on passing downs, uh, especially in a game that the Jaguars are favored on the road. Pretty significant. So you would think that this is the one time at least before we see some other situations happen that James Robinson will get the backfield, a majority of it anyways, to himself pending how they use Carlos Hyde. John, that was a bleak outlook there on James Robinson, but I just think it's true. Like Urban Meyer has it's just a strange summer all around for urban Meyer. So maybe he's going to be a kind of guy where we have to end up paying no attention to what he says, but uh, talk about a guy who passed up opportunities to like praise a player, or, like talk up a player and like putting his money where his mouth, like this looking for any other solution. It seems like a running back. And it just seems like he is not a James Robinson fan. Quickly to the Texans. I, I can't believe the wheel has landed on Daigle for this. Who's been slamming this team all summer. But I mean, I have to ask, is there is there any chance we look at our waiver wires after week one, finding ourselves thinking, should I add this Texans player? I mean, I want to vomit just saying this, but I mean, be it Mark Ingram or Nico Collins, is anyone other other than Brandon Cooks potentially going to emerge for this team because they they are going to get yards and touchdowns? I mean, I I don't know, Daigle, can you make the case for anyone well, else potentially? It's it's up for debate if they're going to get yards and touchdowns. Uh, they'll be breathing yards, and they have arms. That's that's where I stop. But I will say, and I even wrote this in the column. If you go check out the deep league notes, where it's basically just the ramblings of a madman that perhaps this situation happens. And I even wrote in there, like, whenever you're taking deep dives into the bin of waiver wires, uh, I usually ask myself, can this player go for five to ten x next week um, if a situation happens? And for Nico Collins, all he has to do is have a higher target share, a larger target share, but a higher target share than Brandon Cooks, and that's it. And suddenly everyone's bidding on him across waiver wires. So I think that's fair. But honestly, Brandon Cooks is the only player you can play if you are playing the Texans. They kept five running backs after final cuts, including Scotty Phillips. We don't know which ones are going to be active. We don't know their roles. And let's say you pick the one right who leads the team in carries. Ask yourself, does that matter? I don't think so. So we are only going to Cooks in this situation. I assume no one else has anything else to say about the Texans. Are we good? Ready to move on? Well, is someone going to make the Adam Humphreys case for Danny Amendola? I'm sorry. 
I was muted. Sorry about that. I'm obliged as the advocate for bad players uh, to say that Jordan Akins is interesting. Is he? <laughs> Continue. He's, <a> <laughs> He's on the roster. That I've confirmed that. You know, and they released Darren Fells. They released another tight end. I can't remember. So Akins should see a lot of snaps and run a lot of routes. He's like the oldest third-year player in the league, I think, in NFL history. Am, am, I think, am I thinking of the right Texans tight end, by the way? It's hard to keep straight. But, yeah, he was a 2018 third-round pick, and he's 29 already. Oh. <laughs> wow. Bre- Brevin Jordan was also one of their top selections, um, you know, for what, whatever that means to you. He did profile as more of a pass-catching tight end because he's severely small for the position. I don't know which ones they'll play. If you think it's Akins, then I've, I've maybe made worse plays in my life. Maybe. maybe. That's, the, that's about the best compliment I can say. Can yeah, I, I, I would say you could do worse, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. The lawyers have written this one down, Denny. <laughs> <laughs> There are four games at 425 Eastern on Sunday. Two of those, the Browns, Chiefs, and Giants, Broncos, were already covered in part one of our previews, so check that out if you missed it. Meanwhile, we move to an AFC East clash between the Dolphins and the Pats. New England, a three-point home favorite. Total of just 43.5, second lowest of the week. We're expecting potentially a defensive struggle hat. So are you excited about anything on, on the Miami side of things? How are you approaching Miami in this game? Yeah, I'm kind of buying into the the Tua hype from the summer that he's a more confident second year player, that he's more in rhythm as a second year player, just like an ascendant player, which is not a surprise for a second year first round pick. But it's like the wrong week for the summer narrative to get going in the regular season. The Patriots defense is heavily reinforced from last year. Will Fuller is finishing out a suspension. A lot of Tua's receivers like kind of barely practiced the summer. A lot of minor injury issues. I think we're just going to kind of see like a disjointed out of rhythm uh, Dolphins offense on the road, correct? This game is in New England, right? And yeah. it's just, it's not a great week one setup for a player who, by all accounts, is going to take a step forward this year. I do believe that. I mean, he was coming back from one of the most devastating injuries an athlete can suffer, a dislocated hip last year. And, you know, was running such a conservative offense. The Dolphins' offense last year was do not turn the ball over. That was all. Tua was allowed to do, but got his legs back underneath him. A guy at Alabama who was just gifted on like play action and RPOs, which um, is kind of like coaching staff hand holding type of plays. But I mean, that's they're going to do that again. And he, I mean, one of his favorite plays at, at Alabama was 60 yard touchdowns and play action. We're going to actually see big plays from Tua this year. It's just very hard to be excited about him in week one. And week one, I think, is going to dent kind of like the summer momentum his narrative had. Yeah, the Patriots' defense is, is I think, sneaky going to be pretty good. Uh, and I, I like them if if you're looking for – well, actually, I don't know how highly rostered they are in, in fantasy leagues, but uh, maybe maybe Matt can get our crack staff on that. But the um, I do like them for, for streaming purposes against the Dolphins. I guess I like Jalen Waddle just by default. Like, as – you know, I, I mean, he is healthy unless I miss something <laughs> in the past, like – three hours um he's healthy headed into this game i think the the dolphins will be playing from behind most likely i worry about play volume on both sides honestly because it's clear that the patriots want to play bully ball and just crush their opponents via the run it was that's they've telegraphed that for six months i think that the dolphins are a team they can do that against if things break right so 
I don't know if if you can get excited about playing any dolphin this week, but Waddle seems not hateful. It's the switch from overarching off-season analysis, big picture talk, to weekly condensed matchup-by-matchup discussions. And that's why as high as we were on Tua and the Dolphins offense, now we step back and say this is not the week to play them. To your point, Denny, it's not just like sneaky good defense. Like they're an elite defense on paper. Just all the off-season additions they had, not to mention getting all of last year's opt-outs back this year. And so I think there's a really great chance, especially because we know how poor the Dolphins offensive line performed in the preseason. Also missing their left tackle right now probably won't be available in week one. I think there's a real chance the Dolphins just wreck the Patriots or the Dolphins here. The Patriots wrecked the Dolphins. <laughs> Did anyone see the viral video of Austin Jackson from the summer, by the way, from Brandon Thorne? Some some real good blocking uh, there from the Dolphins tackle. I'll just put it that way. Check it out if you haven't seen it. By the way, New England 80% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. And the way you guys are talking, this obviously sets up as a nice Damian Harris game. So I want to move past that, though, and talk a little bit about the Patriots pass catchers. Obviously, they've added Nelson Aguilar, Jonah Smith, Hunter Henry. You've got Jacoby Myers back. James White is a pass catching back. Daigle, how do you sort this out? And are there any of these Patriots pass catchers you're intrigued to start against the Dolphins? Well, Jonah Smith and Hunter Henry are just unknown, and that's not bad. Um, we just don't know what's going to happen. All we know is that Hunter Henry has been the tight end 11 and 13 in fantasy points per game the last two years. We also know, and this is just this is literally just breaking news for a couple minutes ago, uh, Nelson Aguilar suddenly missed practice on Thursday, which tells us then, like last year, Jacoby Myers would probably command a high target share as an intermediate possession receiver. And so you would have to get higher on him in that case, and then you can easily just play, like I mentioned earlier, Henry or Smith, if they were fringe tight end twos anyways, if you draft them as such, because we know they're going to at least be on the field. The only thing I feel like I know about the Patriots pass catchers is that I think Hunter Henry will be the guy in the red zone. I feel like that's the only fact I feel comfortable. He's just that kind of player. He's that kind of frame. He kind of flirted with that role in San Diego slash Los Angeles, never quite seized it. But I feel like Hunter Henry without Cam Newton uh, after Damian Harris will be option two for the Patriots in the red zone. So I have him ranked kind of like in that tight end 13 to 18 range. That special, special 13 to 18 range. Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone talks about when you draft a tie. I just want this guy to be in the 13 to 18 range. <laughs> uh, Jacoby Meyer, I think, yeah, becomes really interesting if uh, Aguilar is out. I mean, even even without Aguilar, I think I think Meyer is a, is a pretty solid play. He wasn't seeing many raw targets, but he was dominating target share for New England. He might just be good which is a kind of a strange thing to say for such an unheralded player. And I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about him since he might be good, but uh, I will say that I, I like him against Miami. I will say I have a strange feeling, by the way, that Bill Belichick is going to be obsessed with Kendrick Bourne. He was always like a, a dirty work kind of guy in San Francisco. Yeah. I actually did decent work in the red zone. Um, and I just have had summer premonitions that Ken, Kenny Bourne is going to be not a fantasy thing, but he's going to be a thing for Bill Belichick. And like, Probably in like a 48 to 60 range in fantasy at wide receiver. Calling back to the Wednesday episode, Pat, was it a dream though? Was it a dream or a premonition? Daydream or night dream? Just a dream. This was just uh I don't know. What do you call it when it's not a dream? It's like a premonition you come up with your own, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know. It's uh it was something. It was a thought rattling uh, around in my empty, empty I, head. I think you need to be drug tested. 
I think that's what this is. This is coming to. You tell you need. I need to get a therapist and tell him I'm having dreams about Kendrick Bourne. Is that what you're saying? I, I, it would. It couldn't hurt. All right. Next up is the Packers at the Saints. Home game for the Saints that will be held in Jacksonville due to Hurricane Ida. Packers favored by four, a total of 50 here. Denny, let's start with the Saints. Broadly, I guess, what are your expectations for this offense with Jameis Winston as a starter? And can we trust anyone beyond the obvious Alvin Kamara, Winston maybe in two quarterback or super flex leagues, and Marquez Callaway if the format is deep enough? I mean, I think I think that's that's it. I mean, you can trust Callaway is gonna is gonna get his. Uh, Traycon Smith is uh, out, I believe, today for undisclosed purposes. That's kind of his thing. Yeah, not right. Being, not being there is what he does. <laughs> he's good. He's good at that. Is it making me look like an absolute fool? You know, so Callaway could be you know the only the only game in town for Jameis, both in the intermediate game and and the deep game. Uh, I kind of see this as a game where the the Saints are playing from behind. I, I can't imagine that. I mean, you know, first of all, they're not home. Who knows what that uh, that crowd will, will will look like? It'll probably be mostly Packers fans, honestly. The way they travel in Jacksonville, uh, so yeah, I think that that could play a factor. I think we are going to see Kamara take on the role or something very similar to the role he saw with Michael Thomas out last year. Uh, I know Jameis Winston doesn't have a great history with checking down to running backs, but Sean Payton's system is is his system and largely revolves around getting the ball to Alvin Kamara in space. I think they'll continue to do that, especially when they're down and they need to drop back and pass quite a bit. It could be a very ugly game anyways. It genuinely comes down to whether Sean Payton trusts any other quarterback besides Drew Brees. Because last year, when Drew Brees was available, they ran the ninth most plays per game. But when anyone else is under center, it was 22nd in plays per game. They got slower in order to win the possession battle. Uh, and if that's the case, again, it could just get very ugly and sluggish and not a perhaps high-scoring game that some think. And that's why I'm sort of worried here. That's why, for me, it strictly ends on the Saints with, of course, uh, Marcus Callaway, especially if Traquan Smith is out, and then, of course, Alvin Kamara. John, I have a quick another DFS sicko question. Mm-hmm. Is there any Juwan Johnson chatter on the New Orleans Saints? Deep leagues, yes, but DFS, and again, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, we will be talking about it. No, because everyone put out their pricing before week one. And so like Kyle Pitts is 4,400 on DraftKings. Okay. Um, Tyler Croft <laughs> is stone men. Like you can you can easily get there because the prices are wrong. So not no Juwan Johnson talk just yet, but Deep leagues, just fine because he was the pass catching tight end in the preseason. And let's say you're in a tight end premium league, like that's the kind of player because he is an athlete that you would want to flex if all the dominoes fall. Now, for Juwan Johnson, it's like a thousand dominoes that have to go in line without one messing up along the way. But still, it's a possibility. There's also the issue on DraftKings where I think Juwan Johnson's listed as a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. Pat, I, I like how your your DFS sicko questions have been framed as: Is there any chatter? Is any is anyone out there? I don't want to know, I mean, Johnson I, at all. I don't want to know. I'm just I'm just people might want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> we're all we're all just chasing Dvorak. That's all we're, we're trying to do. I know. Yeah, we're, until someone else wins a hockey GPP, we're all uh, in the in the race for second. Man. Let's go to Green Bay now. We know what we're expecting, and those are big things from Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams. Those are all obviously locked-in fantasy stars. I mean, even Bob Tunyon is potentially a locked-in fantasy starter heading into week one, given the state of the tight end position. Big Bob. Pat, 
beyond those guys, what's your level of confidence in someone else here becoming a thing? I mean, whether that's standalone value for AJ Dillon or dare I say, but maybe shouldn't say MVS. I mean, I think MVS, he's never going to have like locked in weekly value, but someone who was like totally forgotten over the summer, it kind of like at times felt like he like didn't even have an ADP. And to me, he's like a valuable wide receiver four or five to have on your bench for like injury emergencies or bye week crunches because he can flip matchups when he has only two or three targets. I mean, kind of like Deshaun Jackson esque in that regard. Deshaun would usually you're never you were never talking about two to three targets in Deshaun's prime. You were always talking about at least five to six. But MVS to me is like an I ideal bench player for that reason because you're not going to be when you're at full strength you're never going to be starting mvs but like when you are like need to hunt for upside he can change matchups on such limited workloads that i i did think that mvs kind of got like an unfair shake this summer and would, would definitely have him rather have him than even randall cobb i'd rather have him than alan lazar i'd rather have him than amari rogers of course and yeah i think that mvs is kind of uh, not gotten his due is a solid bench player to have in like 12 to 14 team leagues. And Rogers even raved about MVS, um, said he had become a professional all of a sudden. Like it was night and day. They saw what they saw in camp this year compared to the rest of his career so far. So if he, for whatever reason, is now suddenly used underneath, that takes away from Tunyon. Um, it's something, though, I would prefer to see in week one as opposed to chasing that dream. We move now to the old Sunday nighter, the last of our 11 games we're going to discuss. Bears at the Rams on NBC, a total of 46.5 in this one. Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, and company are 7.5-point favorites as Andy Dalton lets it rip against Aaron (laughs) Donald and company. For the Rams, first, I think the biggest fantasy question heading to the opener is what kind of usage to expect at running back between Darrell Henderson and Sony Michelle. Daigle, what are you expecting from this here backfield? It's the one game I feel more confident in Daryl Henderson because Sonny Michelle was questionable, perhaps still is, because apparently he's still learning the playbook since he just joined the team a couple weeks ago. And so for this game, you would think since there's no one else to lean on, it would be Daryl Henderson, especially since they are favored at home by more than a touchdown, so the game script worked as well. But for Sonny Michelle, and I wrote this in the waiver wire column, there's tremendous outs here. Uh, it seems like the worst case scenario, perhaps, is he's just splitting touches with Daryl Henderson, who Sean McVay clearly hates. Uh, and he's upset at the fact that he's just never been able to stay healthy. But also, what if it becomes 70-30 in favor of Michelle? What if it becomes Michelle also has the pass-catching role? And so there are a lot of outs for Michelle to be very good, but this is the one week if for whatever reason you know you drafted Henderson before they traded for Michelle, I think you can feel comfortable using here him here in that RB 28-32 to 32 range, and then we'll assess from this point forward. Yeah, I think you're entirely right. I originally kind of like a flag plant rank. I had Sony Michelle ahead of Daryl Henderson for this week. And then that was one like quickly as I was making revisions, Mike, I do think Sony Michelle, if he stays healthy, which it's hard for both these players will mm-hmm. outpoint Daryl Henderson on the year. But yeah, the quotes were just a little too, he doesn't seem caught up yet. And I totally agree that maybe it's only for week one, but Daryl Henderson should be ranked higher this week. He should be, you know, played more in DFS. He should, be, it's, this is, the time is now for Daryl Henderson and maybe if he does something with it, he can like change the narrative, but it seems like Sony was acquired to be like the, the early down back. Uh, but th- this week I, I do completely agree with John's analysis of Daryl Henderson. Yeah. It, it, Sony hasn't had enough time. I think that that's, that's what it boils down to. And I also don't think this is a game where the Rams are going to have to like, you know, pull out the stops and get everybody involved. I mean, this, this shapes up as an absolute route uh, with Andy Dalton 
under center for Chicago. So I'm on the first I'm, half, at least I'm in agreement that, right. Right. Well, yeah, Daigle said he gets the first half and then fields comes out in the second. We'll see one player. I'm really interested in this game. I'm going to shoehorn my column into this discussion. My target to voter <laughs> column. I, uh, I wrote up uh, Tyler Higby. If you drafted Higby in the ninth, 10th, 11th round, whatever, you're probably starting him anyway, but I just wanted to make, you know, doubly sure that you do that because this matchup is really, really good for Higby. Of course, Gerald Everett gone to Seattle. Higby has that role, that tight end uh, pass catching role to himself. And last year, tight end saw a 24.95% target share against Chicago. That was by far the highest rate in the league for tight ends that came out to 8.14 targets per game for tight ends against Chicago. So with the Rams sporting a, a really solid total here, which I don't have in front of me at the moment, but it is, I think, among the four or five highest of the week. I think I think Higby, Higby has to be in lineups, and uh, obviously for DFS purposes, for the primetime slate or whatever, is, is a really good play. Really, really quickly backtracking to Michelle Daigle. Based on what you're saying, does he get a pass for you this week in terms of usage and touches, meaning give him another week regardless, even if he only has, like, let's say, seven, eight touches this week. You know, you're not dropping him in fantasy leagues based on this week's usage, basically. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, and in the column, I actually said I put Michelle over Tyson Williams in the event that both of them are available because there's a pass-catching role there up for grabs, whereas, again, we've been saying over and over, that role perhaps just doesn't even exist for the Ravens. Um, so for me, Michelle's more like an RB4-5 this week, not really trusting him this week. But if you have him on your bench, you feel really good. Quickly, Pat, we're starting David Montgomery and Allen Robinson in our season-long leagues based on where we drafted them in a less than desirable matchup. But given this matchup, is this a case where we're not even considering we're – not, we're not getting clever with any other Bears beyond those guys, right? I mean, maybe Dar- Darnell Mooney, who was already commanding like a lot of defensive respect last year, maybe he gets loose opposite Allen Robinson getting locked down. Uh, by Jalen Ramsey, but no, we're not getting cute and forcing that into the line. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a good narrative week for Dar- Darnell Mooney. We can't take that risk. I would say it's going to be a very telling week for the DMOT nation. For we are we are Legion <laughs> DMOT nation, and if he can stay on the field and what we expect to be highly negative game script, he he's going to be looking like a very very critical and important fantasy player this year. Basically, if he stays on the field and keeps Damian Williams on the sideline. I think we uh, are not getting cute with Cole Komet either. Another player that if he's on your bench, you feel really good. But with Andy Dalton, who in nine preseason possessions, uh, they went the Bears, punt, 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 changed it up with a fumble, punt, (laughs) scored a 73-yard touchdown against third-string defense, had a turnover on downs, and then Dalton threw a pick as his swan song on the final possession. And so I am worried about Komet and Mooney altogether, which is why I'm sticking with Montgomery and eyeing Damian Williams to see if he does open with a pass-catching role. And waiting very patiently, not patiently at all, for Justin Fields, please. Right. Quickly. Please, God. That's the end of our 11-game preview. Anything to mention on NBC Sports Edge? And Daigle, for starters, why don't you tell us what you've got planned for your Friday DFS Building Blocks show? It is now going to also be on your pod feeds, a good football show on Saturday mornings for some DFS talk. So look forward to that. It's going to be the same thing as last year. Four questions where we are trying to give fishing poles and not fish, not picks per se, but we're talking about the overarching lineup building plus a few other guys to mix in and just building rosters for tournaments. I think it's a good mix because I'm a mid to high stakes single entry guy because I love forcing people to make decisions, which is what uh, I do, we do all do on a typical basis. But yet everyone is 
was so bad at it. And then Kyle is more of a multi-lineups guy. So I think it, it works really well. Denny, when he doesn't have the kids, whenever that is, will also yeah. pitch in from week to week. And so, yeah, we'll open with the decision point, which is the most interesting thing that happens whenever we've opened and started building lineups this week. And we'll just take it from there. So definitely tune in 6 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, YouTube and Twitch for that. I'll be there week two to share my galaxy brain takes for the DFS slate. Yes. Check it out. And I have a live Q&A tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Check it out on NBCSportsEdge.com. I believe it's on Twitch. But yeah, find the link at NBCSports.com. NBCSportsEdge.com. Grandpa, what's Twitch? Uh, you'll see, see, son, uh, when a man loves a woman. Um, it's an app. All right. That is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. Thanks to everyone for listening on the podcast and watching live with us on YouTube as Daigle raises his hand to say one more thing. So I'm going to interrupt my outro to say. The videos on YouTube are getting a tons of views and likes and subscriptions. So I just wanted to quickly say thank you all. The regular season is finally here. All right. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks guys. Good luck in week one, everyone.